Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, welcome to... Talk live on Jane Unchained, broadcast on broadcast on Voice America Radio as well as Facebook, and we're here with the amazing Nick Sackett, who is the legislative strategist for social compassion and legislation. He is in Sacramento, California, and you've got a bunch of new proposed laws during this crisis, COVID nineteen. We know that it's believed to have started in a wet market in China, just like SARS started in a wet market in China in the early two thousands. And a lot of people don't know that there are thousands and thousands of wet markets right here in the United States. And social compassion and legislation has proposed something to do something about that. Tell us about it. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. So good to be back on the show. Um, Right. So as we all know, the way these diseases jump to humans is interaction between various species and humans. And that's how these viruses make the jump. So what we want to do is reduce the places where these zoonotic diseases transmit themselves to humans uh, by getting rid of markets that have live animals stored, uh, are butchered on site, and uh, given to the consumer for consumption. Uh, A lot of people have heard about the markets in China and other places around the world. But what they don't know is that they exist right here in the United States. Uh, Our bills are focused in California and New York, and we will get into those a little bit later. But there's also efforts at the federal level, uh, Cory Booker and uh, a number of other uh, U.S. congressmen uh, and women sent a letter to the World Health Organization and other Intergovernmental uh, agencies to call for a worldwide ban on wet markets, live animal markets. Um, so I think there's a movement uh, around the world to really reduce these kinds of markets. What's really fascinating, and why do I hold little Rico? Well, first of all, he's my rescue from Puerto Rico, all Sato rescue, and Americans and Canadians as well, because a lot of people in Canada watch these broadcasts, love their animals, people around the world love their animals, but yet there's a disconnect. And we've seen horrific footage from these wet markets where animals are literally picked out by a shopper and then they're taken into a back room and they're struggling and then they slit their throats and they bleed out. And so you have blood, you have feces, you have urines, you have eyeballs, you have guts, you have all of this stew and That is a dangerous stew. Uh, Now, some people have said, well, you know, it's when you have wild animals and people keep talking about bats. But the truth is that every slaughterhouse has the same basic ingredients, feces, blood, urine, uh, body parts. um, And it's mixed in there with people stomping around. We've seen video in the wet markets in New York City, which was captured by Donnie Moss of Their Turn, as well as um, Slaughter Free New York City, Jill Carnegie and Adita Bernkrat, where you see people literally walking in pools of blood. And that that is a dangerous situation. And tell me why 
um, you feel that people should worry about this specifically as opposed to just pointing their finger across the world and saying, oh, there's the problem? Well, that's a great question. The biggest thing is, you know, well, the, the biggest thing is that this is where diseases happen. And despite the fact that uh, something hasn't uh, come out of a U.S. life market that has uh, created uh, a huge pandemic, uh, doesn't mean that it won't happen. It's just a matter of time. So it doesn't matter where in the world these markets are. Fact of the matter is, like you said, are there animals getting slaughtered? Are they getting mixed with other species? And are they coming in co- close contact with human beings? And that's, that's the, the mixture that we need to get rid of. I'm going to close my blinds so that the sun is not shining on my face. Okay. Well, what exactly would your bills do? What would your bill that you're proposing through social compassion and legislation do? Sure. So we have one in New York and one in California. I'll go over the one in New York first. Uh, That one is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, It will ban all live animal markets that are licensed by the state in New York. Now, just so that your audience understands what the difference is between a slaughterhouse that's licensed by the state of New York versus a slaughterhouse that is licensed by the USDA, the federal government, is at the slaughterhouses that are uh, USDA regulated, those animals are not being sold directly to the consumer. They're being slaughtered in the slaughterhouse, which of course, those slaughterhouses have their own problems. Um, but they aren't interacting with uh, different species and they're strictly uh, regulated for cleanliness and they're not being sold directly to to the consumer at the slaughterhouse. Those meat products will make their ways to supermarkets. What the New York bill is going to do is get rid of all those slaughterhouses where there's that interaction between live animals and humans and other species. Um, So that's what the New York bill would do. It's pretty simple. It'll just say that the state will stop licensing those type of slaughterhouses. Uh, In addition to that provision of the bill, it is also going to create a task force, which is going to review the health uh, conditions of these uh, slaughterhouses. It's going to review the animal welfare concerns of these type of uh, live animal markets, and then is going to report to the legislature their findings, and the legislature can take action according to what the task force finds. Now, we just did on Jane Unchained, Elizabeth Alfano interviewed Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who happens to be running for mayor of New York City. And he actually did say that this is an issue that we really need to look into. I'm going to find his direct quote in a second here, but um, there had been a reluctance uh, on the part of politicians to look at this issue at all. People have been demonstrating outside these live wet markets in New York City for eons. I was there a couple of years ago when there was a demonstration where they went into a live market and protested and were thrown out. In California, um, something like uh, well over 30 people, including the uh, famous activist actress Alexandra Paul, were arrested in Northern California in Oakland protesting at a, a live market. This was two years ago or three years ago. But now, because of COVID-19 and the fact that 
Most of the scientists concur, almost all of them, that it started in a live wet market in Wuhan, China. This conspiracy theories about laboratories aside, those have been largely debunked. Well, well I, I will say that really regardless of where it was started, uh, whether in a lab or the live wet market, um, the fact of the matter is it, it did come from interaction between humans and animals. So uh, bottom line is that's what we need to get rid of. Absolutely. But in terms of people now focusing on the wet markets and having a different perspective because we've had a global economic collapse as a result of it and thousands of people have died. Um, I, no, I, I, think can't even, I can't even keep up with the latest figures in the United States, but we are the leading, the more people have died in the United States than anywhere else. And New York was the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak here in the United States, uh, where it was uh, ravaging the tri-state area in New York City. Now, the politicians, as opposed to saying, oh, nothing to see here, you know, ignoring, and the news media, for years, they ignored these protests. They, the only way you could get news media coverage of a protest at a slaughterhouse is to have something like 35 people arrested. Okay. And that's the only time they came out. And then they would do some weird angle like, uh, is this uh, religious persecution? Which, in fact, in um, the pr protest that I covered in Oakland about three years ago, the reporters jumped on that angle and saying this was, was this persecution against in the particular uh, religion of the slaughterhouse that was operating there, which happened to be, I believe, Muslim. And the leader of the protest came out and told the media, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm Muslim. And I am leading this protest. This has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with um, animal cruelty and human health and safety for everyone. And these live wet markets are often in communities of color, in low-income communities, we know there's no slaughterhouses, live markets, or any of, of any other uh, sort on Park Avenue or in Beverly Hills. They are put in low-income neighborhoods, and often it's the kids from low-income neighborhoods who have to traipse by these places where blood is literally rolling out onto the street. So now we're seeing a new attitude because of co coronavirus, because of COVID-19, amongst the politicians and the news media that have been ignoring this issue for years. Can you address that, Nick? Well, I think what everyone is seeing is that this zoonotic diseases will not discriminate. They will make the jump from animals to humans, no matter uh, what culture uh, we're talking about, no matter what religion we're talking about. Um, and it has had devastating effects, not only on our health, on our economy. Um, governments are having a really hard time responding to this. We're seeing that uh, displayed right here in the United States, unfortunately. Um, so I think what you're seeing is people getting beyond uh, the cultural nuances and the religious nuances and saying, wherever this is happening, it needs to stop. And you, you brought up a, a really good point about a lot of these slaughterhouses being in lower income areas. And you see that with our factory farms. You see areas where factory farms exist, uh, the surrounding areas um, are being poisoned. And who disproportionately gets affected by that? Uh, people of color, 
uh, lower income uh, folks. So it's also a social justice issue. Absolutely. Uh, It's called environmental racism. And there's a term for it. And there's a good reason that there's a term for it. So Eric Adams, who is the Brooklyn Borough president, who, by the way, is vegan and very proud about it and just uh, putting out a book about his veganism. Uh, And he um, is running for mayor of New York City. And Jane Unchained interviewed him. Elizabeth Alfano conducted this incredible interview. It's our lead story on our janeunchained.com website right now. And he said, quote, clearly the cramping of these exotic animals, the killing of animals is really becoming a place where diseases are festering and growing. That's a direct quote from Eric Adams. I think that's progress right there, uh, Nick. Absolutely. Politicians uh, across the spectrum are, are becoming more aware of this issue. And, and I really believe that they see now what animal rights advocates like ourselves have been seeing for, forever is that it's a very small price to pay to prevent uh, these types of scenarios. The, you know, shutting down slaughterhouses, creating, you know, um, you know pushing uh, more plant-based uh, policies. Um, those are very small prices to pay in comparison to the economic fallout of, of COVID-19 and other diseases. Absolutely. I mean, the bottom line is if we weren't abusing animals, there would be no COVID-19. If we live in a plant-based culture, we wouldn't have coronavirus. We wouldn't have had SARS and uh, we wouldn't have had mad cow disease Uh, which killed a lot of people, then they immediately renamed it or tried to promote it as H1N1 to keep it away from the idea of this came from a cow. And swine flu and avian flu are actually problems right now uh, in parts of the world. So this is not a one-off. This is something that can come back. It can come back worse. Um, It can come back through mutations. It can come in waves. It can come in spikes. And this is the opportunity, the window of opportunity where people have a moment of clarity and go, wow, the majority of New Yorkers, for example, had no idea that there were more than 80 wet slaughter markets in New York City alone. In New York City alone, more than 80 of them. And now, uh, and we've been trying to tell people for literally decades, decades, um, but our, it fell on deaf ears. Literally, yeah. right before this pandemic broke, or as it was breaking, when, when before they put everybody in isolation, there was a protest outside New York City Hall by a whole bunch of activists wearing masks and holding signs saying, close down the wet markets. All the media was informed of this protest, as was uh, as were those in, in City Hall. Nobody came out. No, no news media reported on it. Nobody from the mayoral office came out to dialogue with the protesters and say, yeah, this is an issue. We've got to look at it. It was as if it never happened. Okay, that's called censorship, by the way. And why is it that the mainstream media doesn't want to look at this issue until they're forced? Just look at the advertisers, meat, dairy and pharmaceuticals. It's not a a giant leap from saying that live slaughter markets aren't such a good idea to saying that, hey, our factory farming system, which is just a ginormous slaughter uh, system, is not such a good idea either. There are alternative sources of protein and indeed, now, and we'll get to this in a second, there is a widespread outbreak of coronavirus in the slaughterhouses in the United States. In fact, it's one of the three epicenters along with prisons and nursing homes. But right. now the news media is forced to look at it. Nick. That's right. Uh, stories about, you know, 
animal welfare and the health of workers at slaughterhouses, those stories don't pay the bills. Uh, the advertising dollars from uh, groups like Tyson and the, the rest of the meat industry, uh, those pay the bills. So you can see, uh, you can understand why those stories don't usually make it out. Absolutely. Um, what I wanted to say to you all, go ahead. You, you did mention one thing. Uh, what we're going to see is these viruses, and please take this with a grain of salt, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but from what I understand, these viruses can mutate. And it's only a matter of time before another virus mutates that we won't have a vaccine for. Even if we find a vaccine for COVID-19, there will be another virus that comes along and we will be starting from square one. Absolutely. And what I'd like to say is that this is a cultural change. We have had huge cracks in our infrastructure as a result of COVID-19. And essentially things that um, animal activists have been saying for literally decades are now things that the average American is for the first time willing to think about. Uh, we all know you're a vegan, I'm a vegan. Look, here we are. I haven't eaten animals, well, since I was, I haven't eaten animals since I was uh, in uh, high school. And then it was just because a doctor told me I had to eat a liverwurst sandwich. I ate one liverwurst sandwich. I <coughs> never again. That's but then a, I became vegan. Really I, beca I, went, I gave up dairy and eggs and all that later. And I've been vegan for 23 or 24 years. I wish I had the exact date. We know that there are plenty of people who are living healthier lives than those who are eating animals. We know that animal agriculture is the leading cause of habitat destruction because animals eat so much more than they produce as food. And we kill 70 plus billion land animals, cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, and lambs, whereas we're only 7.8 billion humans. We could reforest much of the earth and begin to immediately reverse climate change if we eliminated animal agriculture. And because animals eat so much more than they produce as food, we could eliminate world hunger if we took all the food that we're feeding to 70 plus billion animals like the 80% of soy that goes straight to farm animals, not to humans, redirected it to humans. We know all this. But now, because of this crisis, this information is coming to the surface and people can start making their own decisions and not be conditioned to do something that's bad for them, that's bad for the planet, that's bad for the animals, that's a lose, lose, lose all the way around and is now the subject of pandemics. We are live on Voice America Radio. We're gonna take a short break and we take calls on the other side. Stay right there. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel you are listening to jane unchained to reach the show today call in to 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. I just posted the call-in number on the comment section. We're here with Nick Sackett of Social Compassion Legislation. That's an incredible organization that has passed so much legislation over the years. The Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act got global attention, which uh, basically uh, bans uh, cosmetics companies from selling products here in uh, California that are tested on animals. Uh, and California is the fifth largest economy in the world. Just California right. alone would be the fifth largest economy in the world. And so what it did was it just really accelerated the effort toward completely uh, animal-free cosmetics and beauty products. So it, not only that, but uh, I personally take uh, a lot of pride in the dining, dining with dogs law, okay? And I'll just tell you the backstory. In California and in New York, if the restaurant owner allows you, you can bring your dog into the terrace, into the outside deck, the outside dining area. And uh, that means that there are thousands of restaurants that now you can bring your pet to and you can sit in the outdoor cafe. That wasn't legal until social compassion legislation passed the law. And I'll just tell you the backstory. Uh, years ago, I was an investor in a vegan restaurant, and I went to the restaurant. It's a great restaurant. I know the owners, the then owners, for years. And I saw a bee on the, and I know how clean they are clean, clean, clean. And I was like, oh my God, why is there a bee? He said, you won't believe this, Jane. Um, we have this outdoor patio, and a little dog uh, had snuck through the rails and was sitting on the inside of the rails, and a health inspector came by and gave us a bee. Well, I was fit to be tied. I had smoke coming out of my ears. I called Judy Mancuso, and that's not Judy Mancuso, by the way. That's Nick Sackett here, her uh, legislative strategist and attorney. But Judy Mancuso is the head of social compassion legislation. I said, Judy, I am furious. This incredibly clean, wonderful vegan restaurant has been given a B grade because a little dog went through the rail and sat on the inside of the outdoor cafe right at the rails. And this is how these... uh, Vegan companies are persecuted by a lot of it, by a lot of the infrastructure of our world, government infrastructure. They seem to have it out a lot of times for the vegan veg fests, uh, where I see people roasting pigs on a spit in the middle of the street. Nobody says anything, and then they send all these health inspectors into the veg fests and try to crack down on everything. Vegan food is the cleanest food on the planet. It's the cleanest I will, food on the planet. Jane, I want to tell you something about uh, when. Go ahead. <laughs> when, when social compassion and legislation got involved in New York to pass the Dining with Dogs bill, um, that was not an easy bill. The Department of Health in New York City did not want that bill to pass. But uh, because of the leadership of Judy Mancuso 
partnering with you and other activists in New York City, such as Adida, um, we were able to get that, that bill passed. And, you know, here's an interesting thing of how one thing leads to another. So we passed the Dining with Dogs bill. Uh, sorry. We passed the Dining with Dogs bill. And that means I can bring little Rico and my other dogs. Now I have three um, more. And uh, I could take them to an outdoor cafe. As, soon, as long as the outdoor cafe says it's okay. And the vast okay. majority love it because it's good business for them. It's a win, win, win. That's not just vegan cafes. Any cafe, you can take your dog now in New York or California if the restaurant allows. And that didn't, that wasn't the case until we passed this dining with dogs bill. And what was really great about it was because we passed it here in California, we got global attention. It was written up everywhere. It was big story. And they had all sorts of graphics with dining with Fido. People were making memes and, um, because of the fact that we took it to New York and we passed it in New York, Social Compassion got to meet legislators in New York who supported that bill. And now you are working with some of the same legislators to That's pass right. the wet market ban. Tell That's us right. about that. Right. Assembly member uh, Linda Rosenthal was the legislator who uh, authored uh, the Dining with Dogs law in New York. And uh, Judy reached out to her to talk about. Uh, possibly working on legislation to ban uh, live animal markets in New York. And uh, Linda was enthusiastic and ready to go uh, as soon as the topic was broached. Uh, she's been working with, uh, remember, uh, Rosenthal has been working with a lot of groups in New York, working with us, PETA, Wild Aid, PCRM, um, bringing together a coalition that's really going to be strong and move this legislation forward and, and get it across the finish line. And I want to say that that's worth delving into because when we passed Dining with Dogs, there were a lot of people who said, oh, that's fine, but that's just, that's just a, a capricious little thing for dog lovers. That's, you know, we need to be working on more serious subjects. And um, the truth is that uh, you never know, you know, activism, like, like all art, is... Uh, a river and you never know where it's going to lead. So even though it may have seemed like just, oh, not such an important thing, it turned out to be the introduction to legislators who are now working on something that couldn't be more important. We've got a call from uh, California, Sarah from California. What is your question or thought? Hi. Hey, how are you? Uh, Nick, I have a question for you. Since you're an attorney, how is this going to help, do you think, actually, will this help get the ball rolling for the big factory farms? Or if it gets passed in New York, since there's so many wet markets, do you think that, actually, it'll get passed in New York first and then California? And then after that, we can talk about the slaughterhouses, because people call them meat packing. They keep calling them meat packing or processing plants, but they're really slaughterhouses. So can you address that also, the language that's being used? Great question. Thank you, Sarah from California. She, she brought up a lot of great issues there. Take it away. Sure. So uh, I'm in, on the ground in California, um, so I'm not uh, privy to the language being used on the ground as far as slaughterhouses versus meat packing. 
the bottom line, uh, I refer to them as slaughterhouses, and the bill that we are advancing uses the term uh, slaughterhouses. Um, really, like I said in the beginning, it really only has to deal with where animals of various species interact with humans, um, unlike the slaughterhouses that are uh, um, uh, regulated by the USDA. Um, as far as which bill is going to be uh, passed first, um, I think there's a lot of questions up in the air about how the uh, respective legislatures are moving forward. I think there's more clarity in California um, about how we are going to move through this legislative session, which ends on August 31st. So for those of you in California uh, watching and keeping track, um, this process will go through the summer. Um, and if we are able to pass the bill uh, through the legislature, the governor will have the month of September to sign it or veto it. Of course, we uh, anticipate that he would sign it. Uh, in New York, they were supposed to end on June 2nd, uh, but obviously things are on hold because of the virus. And so there's a little bit more uncertainty about when and how the legislature is going to move forward. Uh, but I would uh, suggest everyone listening to sign up at socialcompassionandlegislation.org, and you can uh, get our email blast and follow along with the process of these bills. Um, you, the last point that you made regarding uh, factory farming, I think, I don't know if these bills will lead directly to any sort of regulatory change at the federal level of USDA inspected slaughterhouses. Uh, but I do think that in general, this entire pandemic is going to move uh, legislators at the federal level, um, not only because of the virus, but you're also seeing the effect on humans that work at those slaughterhouses, how they're being affected. Um, so I think you're going to see movement. Cory Booker, and I believe is Elizabeth Warren, but don't quote me on that, have uh, suggested some uh, phase out of factory farming. Um, so I'm, that is fantastic to see that being discussed at the federal level, which I believe was virtually impossible to do. Uh, before this pandemic, but now that people are aware of the dangers, um, they're willing to have the, the discussion. Yes. Cory Booker, who is famously the vegan U.S. senator from New Jersey and who was a presidential candidate until recently, has teamed up with Elizabeth Warren, who was also a U.S. senator and who uh, was a presidential candidate as well, and they have proposed together a bill that would phase out concentrated animal feeding operations. And what a lot of people don't realize today is that the word farming is often a misnomer. The small farmers are victims too. They have been forced out. And in fact, uh, one of the heads of uh, the government agency that oversees all this told the farmers in no uncertain terms, get big or get out, like a big insult to them. So what, um, what we are starting to realize is that we're all being factory farmed. They need us to eat this meat so that you get sick and then they can sell you the pharmaceuticals. The truth is that statins and cholesterol lowering drugs are a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And the alternative is simply not eating animal products because there's no cholesterol in plant-based products. Plants do not produce cholesterol, 
Only animals produce cholesterol. So we're animals. We produce our own cholesterol. If you have high cholesterol, unless you're one of the rare people with a genetic predisposition, it's because you're eating animal products and too much of them. So instead of the doctors being trained to say, look, go on a plant-based diet, which some of them now are, uh, thanks to Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which represents more than 12,000 doctors and medical professionals who urge people to go on a plant-based diet, and some um, big medical organizations like I happen to uh, uh, have Kaiser as my insurance, and Kaiser does talk about plant-based for human health. Um, But uh, instead of most doctors, instead of saying, hey, you've got high cholesterol, just eliminate the meat and dairy from your diet, start eating more vegetables and fruits and nuts and grains. They say, no, here's a pill. Now, um, that is money for the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, there's a lot of other pills that I could go into. Uh, let's not be you know, too graphic, but erectile dysfunction is a precursor to heart disease because it is the vessels in that part of the body getting clogged, just like the vessels to the heart get clogged to cause a heart attack just like the vessels to the brain get clogged to cause a stroke. So um, it's systemic when, you're, when your arteries start getting clogged and your vessels in your body start getting clogged. It's not just one area to the heart. It's to your entire body and all the vessels in your body. And so if people switch to a plant-based diet, they will be able to eliminate a lot of those lifestyle diseases. And so this is why we are all being factory farmed. They are oppressing the farmers, putting them in horrible loans, um, making pennies per animal, um, subjecting themselves to all sorts of chemicals. And um, you have the slaughterhouse workers having to risk their lives now to go into these slaughterhouses because they've called them essential, which they're obviously not. Nick and I don't eat animals. And look at us. I'm turning 65 in two months. I'll be 43 in two months. Okay, there you go. And so... You know, they're being factory farmed. The consumers are being factory farmed, so they get sick, so they have to buy the pharmaceuticals. We're all trapped in the same system. And all we need to do as consumers is to wake up and say, you know what? This is not really in my self-interest. I'm being brainwashed and conditioned to do this. So a couple of billionaires in Manhattan can make even more money. All right. We've got a caller, Lisa from California. Your question or thought, Lisa. Hi. Can you hear me? Okay. Let me see. Yes. Hi, I just wanted to say thank you so much to Nick and Judy at Social Compassion and Legislation. You implemented the most amazing email program where when people sign up for the email, you have letters that can be written because I know what you do is you take these letters that people uh, write and all they need to do is fill out a couple of pieces of data, their name, their email address, their regular address, and Letters are generated, and we get to see what those letters are. You print them out, and you take them to our legislators in Sacramento, to our members of the State Assembly and our members of the State Senate. And that is a very powerful tool to let these legislators know what their constituents think. And you make it so easy for people. So everybody that's listening... Please sign up for the e- for the email newsletter. They don't sell your information. You will get them periodically when there is news to report, and you can you can get these these pre written letters. So you don't have to do your research to figure out what to write. So you say the right thing. It's written for you. And if you want to modify it, you can do that as well. And I just want to congratulate you on implementing this incredible program because you make it so easy for me to have a voice in Sacramento. So thank you. Thank- Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate your support and your kind words. Yeah, we worked on a system where folks can come to socialcompassionandlegislation.org, 
fill in, create an account or just fill in their information as a guest and support uh, either all of our bills that we're working on, uh, any individual bill that you is particularly of importance to you. Um, and then like uh, the caller Lisa said, uh, we do not share your information with any other groups, uh, no groups, no advertisers. It is uh, completely confidential within our organization. Absolutely. And I got to say that we're a fun bunch. If you live in California or anywhere near California, Nevada or uh, you know, uh, any, any place where you could get to Sacramento pretty quickly, we all go. In fact, Judy calls and she goes, time for you to go to Sacramento. And we all go to Sacramento. And of course, this was before the lockdown, but hopefully eventually one day we'll be able to do this again. And we march into the Sacramento calls of government and we go in a big group and we hit these various legislators and we testify and then we all go to lunch and have a great time. And we yeah, have a, right. big, a big vegan lunch and everybody, it's, it's, it's really a great group of people. And there's also incredible galas and parties that Social Compassion Legislation has here in Los Angeles. And so once you become a part of this organization by signing up, you'll get all that information. And it's really a great way to meet other like-minded people. And it's fun. There's nothing more fun for me than going to Sacramento and talking to a legislator, you know, and they take Judy Mancuso very seriously. She's no one to kid around with. And I've seen some of the legislators who um, are basically bought by industry. And when they see her, and I've seen this myself, they turn and they run. They're well, scared of her. It's a testament to her uh, tenacious uh, personality and her perseverance. She's been w coming to Sacramento working on animal-centric uh, legislation for over a decade and she's really uh, lifted social compassion legislation uh, into an organization uh, that uh, works well with legislators here in California and New York. And bipartisan. That's the other That's thing, right. is that in this extremely polarized time, sometimes the one thing that everybody can agree on is let's not torture animals. A lot of your bills are bipartisan, right? I mean, didn't you have um, Republicans and Democrats right. together on the uh, cos cosmetics, the cruelty-free cosmetics bill? Yes, we had bipartisan support uh, on that bill. We have a blood bank bill that maybe we can get into later uh, yeah. today's show that is being authored by a Republican. So we definitely work across the aisle. On, on All right. We're going to take another break on Voice America Radio, but we're staying live on Facebook. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. Uh, climatehealers.org slash white paper. I misspelled that on the comment section there. But uh, it's go to climatehealers.org slash white paper and you can see this white paper and, you know, check it out for yourself. What if he's right? And I believe he is right that it's the leading cause. And, and let me ask you about that. Uh, I know we want to get into some of your other bills, um, but... You know, one of the things that people are talking about so much now is climate change. Up until COVID-19 hit, it was climate change, climate change. And we know a lot of the climate strike people, the climate change people had been um, not really interested in talking about animal agriculture's impact. Now we have, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, You know, one of the sad uh, things about uh, COVID-19 outbreak is that deforestation rates have shot through the roof because of a lack of enforcement, because enforcement officials can't get out to the field, they're uh, quarantining, and the bad guys are out there. So not only are we uh, dealing with a global pandemic, but we're seeing our deforestation rates skyrocket, which just is going to accelerate climate change, and climate change will accelerate uh, zoonotic disease transmission. You take away habitat from these animals, they start congregating and uh, smaller and smaller areas. They they come into contact with each other. Diseases. And this is how disease spreads. So it is a cycle. We need to stop it uh, on at every level, from climate change, deforestation, to slaughterhouses, animal ag. All of it is uh, one big ecosystem that needs to be dealt with. Now, uh, we are talking to Nick Sackett, who is the legislative strategist and attorney for social compassion and legislation. Go to socialcompassionandlegislation.org and uh, sign up and you'll be part of this incredible movement. Uh, We've made tremendous change. I say we, I'm along for the ride, but your organization, I just support it in any way I can. Um, Let me talk about some of the other bills now. You have a blood bank bill because there's unnecessary cruelty happening to certain dogs and cool. I'm not talking about my chihuahuas here. This is our little co-host Rico from Puerto Rico. Uh, but, uh, dogs are suffering unnecessarily. Tell us about that bill. Right. Jane, if you wouldn't mind, um, I want to talk one more piece about the legislation in California that is going to ban the live animal markets here. Um, that is a, unlike the New York bill, which will focus only on live animal markets. Uh, the California bill that we're working on, and that's by uh, authored by Senator Henry Stern, um, that bill is going to not only focus on banning live animal markets as defined in California, but 
We're also going to ban the possession of various African species uh, that are normally trophy hunted. So lions, um, elephants, rhinos, giraffes. We're going to ban the possession of those um, animals in California so that hunters can't go over to Africa, shoot an elephant and bring it back here to California. Uh, the other piece of the legislature, legislation is giving the Fish and Game Commission the authority to stop imports of any animal that is believed uh, that there is evidence that a zoonotic uh, disease could be transmitted from that animal. Uh, so that is a very important piece to the legislation in order to prevent uh, an outbreak in the future is if there's evidence that this species could transmit a disease, the commission has the authority to say no more, you can't bring that into California. So I think those are very important. I want to point those out before we yeah. move on to the blood bank. The problem. idea that we're still going to Africa and shooting animals, wild animals, it's beyond comprehension. And the United States, unfortunately, is again, has the unfortunate prize of being the leader in that. I mean, people uh, go to Africa from the United States and they shoot wild animals and bring them in. And uh, they consider this trophy hunting. And there's this whole sort of cover story that, oh, well, some of the fees we pay go for wildlife conservation. It, it, that's, that's Orwellian in its duplicity. Okay. Well, Killing well, is no kindness. Right. And also what we see is that wealthy hunting outfitters get the bulk of the money. Um, and the locals that are having to live with these animals get very little of that money that's spent on these trophy hunts, uh, trips, safaris. Um, and so when you get more ecotourism, that's a higher volume of people, and the money is spread out. It's spread out amongst um, hotels. It's spread out amongst tour tourism uh, guides, which rely on the locals to help them out. So you see the money spread out better in ecotourism versus a hunting trip. Unbelievable that that's still happening. It blows my mind in a bad way. Let's talk about the blood bank bill because sure. it's important. Absolutely. So the blood bank bill is authored by a Republican, as I mentioned earlier, Senator Scott Wilk. Um, he worked on this type of legislation uh, with us last year. Um, we what the bill did last year was it simply uh, allowed California to license blood banks. Now, blood banks are just like human uh, banks where they take blood from an animal uh, or a human and then they use it uh, in emergency situations uh, for blood transfusions for uh, an animal that's hurt or a human that's hurt. Um, so in California, all the state allowed, and California is the only state in the nation uh, that has this type of regulation, but they only allow animals that are kept in cages to give blood. Now, in every other state, you can run what's called community blood banks, and that is where people bring in their animal, they get screened by a veterinarian, then they give their blood, and that blood is used to help other animals. And meanwhile, the donor animal gets to go home with their family, just like the human model of giving blood. You go, you give, you go back home. Well, in California, that's not allowed. So last year, we passed a bill through the legislature that would have allowed community blood banks to operate in California. 
Uh, but that bill did not phase out closed colonies. It would have allowed both to continue operating. The governor decided that he wanted to phase out the closed banks. So he vetoed the bill. And now we're back with Senator uh, Wilk. And we are passing a bill that is going to allow the community bud banks to operate and have a phase out of the uh, closed colonies so that these dogs don't have to live in cages their entire lives. That's a great bill. And I hope that all those dogs who have suffered so much go to wonderful homes and that as part of this process, we make sure to find out what happened to those individual animals and that they're not discarded and that they go to good homes or a sanctuary of some sort. So uh, that's an important part. And I think we all need to stay on top of that as well. Pray that your bill passes and then we can uh, start dialoguing with the owners. I assume they're for profit, those closed colonies. The closed colonies are for for profit. And I will say that uh, there will be a phase out because uh, we need to ensure that there is a, a healthy blood supply for California veterinarians to use, to uh, administer to their patient animals. So as soon as the bill is passed, we are going to start licensing the community blood banks to begin operating. Uh, They will start ramping up, producing blood, getting their community animals set up as repeat donors. And then once there is a sufficient level of blood being produced by the community blood banks, that will trigger the phase out of the closed colonies. Uh, What we don't want to see is a complete switch where the uh, closed colonies are not allowed to operate, but the community uh, blood banks are not up and running. And then there would be a shortage of blood for California. Well, let's just make sure that we find good homes for all those dogs who sacrificed so much. And uh, there's always compassionate solutions. Here's the thing about our movement It's that since we don't treat animals as objects or even property, uh, I don't consider Rico my property. I consider him my family member. If anything, (laughs) I belong to them. But as long as you consider animals property, you come up with these cruel solutions like let's keep animals in cages to take their blood. We would never consider let's keep uh, humans in cages so we can take their blood because humans have rights. This is why it's so important for animals to have rights. And uh, as one of the great memes that has been floating around lately said, before you call us extremists, go inside a slaughterhouse and take a look at what happens. Go inside where these animals are being tortured to death and uh, look at it. And then you'll realize that they're the extremists, not us, because there is another way of doing things. And it really seems like nature has, has held an intervention has staged an intervention for humankind. We have been very arrogant as a species and we have pillaged and plundered this earth. And if we continued at the rate we're going, we will literally have no wildlife vertebrates left in six or seven years on this planet. Literally, they will, we will have wiped it out. That's, that's how we are racing towards extinction, which is obviously a phrase that I didn't coin. But um, nature has intervened now and said, Go to your rooms, humans, and think about how you're behaving uh, in relation to the rest of the, of the world and the other animals and nature and come out a more evolved species or you won't come out at all. I mean, that's essentially the message I see from uh, nature. And the question is, are we going to get the message and adjust our lifestyles? Because we can make very small adjustments. 
Even Jim Cramer, you know, mad money has said, look, these, these vegan burgers taste just like the real thing with all these workers dying in these slaughterhouses. Maybe we should just eat these vegan burgers. I mean, words to that effect. So, you know, the people who are the biggest proponents of business are now realizing it's not good business. If we overfish the oceans to the point where there's no fish left and we have an ecological collapse, is that good business? If we... Um, Torture animals to the point where there are pandemics that are wiping out our global economy. Is that good business? If we are sending slaughterhouse workers to their deaths and infecting their communities to the point where even when the U.S. government says, oh, as part of the Defense Protection Act, this is critical infrastructure and you've got to go into work and you have no recourse and you can't file for unemployment and you can't. And they're all dying or they're quite a few dying and more infected and sick and they're going to collapse anyway because this virus will win. Is that good business? No. If the climate becomes too hot for us to walk across the street without fainting, is that good business? No. So at a certain point, you know, we have to wake up and realize that this in virtually all of our biggest problems center around our abuse of animals. And that if we eliminated, we just eliminated animals from our diet. So much would change. Our health care costs would plummet. How many Americans beat their chest and scream and yell, me too? I went to the doctor once for 20 minutes. I pay $900 a month. Because I'm a retired person. I don't have corporate health care. Why am I paying so somebody else can eat hamburgers all day and then have a heart attack and get a stent operation? And I'm sure a lot of other Americans agree the same thing. So for our health, for the planet, for climate change, to avoid future pandemics, to eliminate world hunger, uh, how many more reasons do we need to say the only thing we need to do is Take this little part of our diet, because even with all this killing of animals, it's only 15% of what we eat. And eliminate that and replace it with something that's healthier and cholesterol-free. And a lot of these problems will just disappear. I mean, I'll give you the last word. We got 30 seconds left. Well, I'm... one positive that I'm taking out of this entire uh, pandemic situation is I think we realize that we can take bold action, that society as a whole can act in unison uh, for the health of the whole. And I was a little bit pessimistic about that ever being able to happen, but seeing how people have responded to this pandemic gives me hope that we can make major change and do it very quickly. And the last word I'll say is if you want to support our bills, go to socialcompassionandlegislation.org and sign up and we will get your voice heard in the uh, legislatures that you need to be heard in. I thank you so much, Nick Sackett. Please sign up to socialcompassioninlegislation.org and sign up to Jane Unchained. Get our bi-weekly newsletter. And uh, we have our finger on the pulse of everything involving this issue. So join our movement and together we can make this a more compassionate world that will actually survive. Thank you for joining us, everyone. See you next time on Voice America Radio. (music) 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.